this interview could literally change their life. This is about dropping the act and finding the sometimes scary way into deeper connection. It's like a journey that looks kind of scary, but on the other side is much deeper connection, confidence, intimacy, and better business success as well, if that's what floats your boat. You make more money, people want to work with you, you become more charismatic, be a better leader. Welcome to the Every Breath Counts podcast. I'm Ryan Sheckle, health enthusiast, amateur ultra runner, and award-winning business consultant. And each week, I interview the most accomplished people in the world, from professional and Olympic athletes to CEOs, best-selling authors, and even the occasional magician to demystify what it takes to achieve success at the highest level. Take what you can from these stories to optimize your mind, your body, and your career so you can make every breath count. Thank you for investing the time in the show and yourself. Now let's get started. My guest today is David Wood. David left his cushy Park Ave job 20 years ago to build the world's largest coaching business. He became number one on Google for life coaching, serving an audience of 150,000 coaches, including business owners, executives, teams, and more to produce extraordinary results through authentic, transparent communication. In this episode, we discuss his new book, The Mouse in the Room, a leadership book with the foreword written by none other than Jack Canfield, author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, codifying the lessons he has learned throughout his career. There's so much in this episode, and if you're exhausted pretending to be someone you're not, just to garnish the respect from others, I guarantee this podcast episode will give you the tools to be more authentic and communicate in a way that builds deeper, more meaningful relationships in your life and career. As always, if you enjoy the show, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts is greatly appreciated. But first, here is David Wood. David Wood, thank you so much for joining the podcast. My absolute pleasure. I'm enjoying you already, Ryan. Let's get really into how people can become a little bit vulnerable and use that vulnerability and authenticity to, to improve their relationships and their business because you wrote a book. It's being released on June 13th, and it's called The Mouse in the Room. Now, why use a mouse as a metaphor for leadership? Yeah. Well, firstly, if I can, I want to talk about the problem. So, because this this book addresses the problem. And the problem is we're taught since birth to hide our true selves. You know, my parents never said to me, David, how do you feel about that? What's happening in your body right now? And, oh, tell me more about your anger. How is that for you? Do you want to go and beat some pillows? That didn't happen. And if you're, you know, if, if you're, human, chances are you didn't have a lot of that as a kid. So what we grow up presenting an act to the world, we don't even know it most of the time. But we might be disappointed about something, let's hide it. We might be upset about something, let's hide it, it's not going to go well. I'm going to get in trouble with my boss if I tell him I'm upset. 
And what it means is we're hiding everything inside us and that leads to disconnection, loneliness, and then we need to go and medicate with tea and coffee and sugar and ice cream and alcohol and TV and video games and whatever. What we need is a pathway, something to show us how to undo that, all that hiding. And someone, someone once I was in a course and someone said, you've just got to name the thing. We're like, what do you mean? You got to name the thing. And she went on for five minutes. You've just got to name the thing, that thing in between you, that thing that's going on. You've got to name it. And then everything gets better. It might be awkward. It might be difficult for a little bit, but then everything gets better. And I was like, God, she's right. You know, I was late. I was like six minutes late to this interview with you, Ryan. If I didn't name it, that'd be weird. You might be like this jerk. He's late. He's not even saying he's late. And then I've got, I would call them mice. I got mice running around. Uh, one could be, I'm embarrassed. And I didn't name that. I, I'm embarrassed about being late. I feel sorry for holding up your time. That's a second mouse. I'm normally much more reliable and I would like you to relate to me as someone reliable. There's another mouse. I didn't realize all these things in the moment, but they're, they're popping up now. Now, I, I thought, what do we have in our language that people can relate to? Well, the elephant in the room. We all know about that. Elephant in the room is yeah. a brilliant metaphor because it's something huge, something obvious. You see it. I see it. No one's saying anything. Okay. We should definitely be addressing the elephant in the room. And this book will show you how to do that how to be a leader and not be one of those people just not saying anything. But it goes way further because many creatures in the room are much more subtle. It might be a feeling you have and the other person's got no idea. That's not an elephant. It might be something, something small, like I've got a friend who when she leaves me a message, she sometimes has a sing-song voice. She's like, oh, I just cleaned my house and I'm all excited. <laughs> And it's just, I don't like it. It's just weird, right? That's, that's a minor thing. It's not an elephant in the room. It's a mouse. So the subtitle to the book, the full title of the book is The Mouse in the Room Because the Elephant is Not Alone. Mm. And I want to wake people up to the fact that you've got mice left, right, and center. And this book will help you discover what they are. Because we often don't even know what's going on inside us. We just know we don't like it. I don't like that. Or I do like that. This will help you find out what's actually going on and then artfully name that mouse so that you can come into deeper connection, build trust, and all the glorious benefits that, that can come from that. So there's a lot of different rooms that we walk into, right? Your room may be your relationship, your room may be your business. Your room may be your friendship or uh, an interaction. Um, and so I guess it sounds to me like you're saying like this, this elephant is the outward appearance. Is it, I mean, is the elephant even real or, or is it, is it just this, um, 
the, like the big picture, like the main, the main thing of like what you're there to do. I'm trying to understand, like I can kind of get the mouse. I can kind of get these little vulnerabilities, these little, these little subtle instances that you may be doing. Um, but I, I want to understand the elephant to better understand the mouse. You're saying you understand the subtle ones, but, but not the bigger ones? Well, I think to better understand the subtle ones, I think it's good to also understand the big elephant. Oh, sure. And, and look, some of these mice can be quite huge. We call them rodents of unusual size, so, uh, which is a princess bride reference. Um, they can get as big as an elephant. The distinction is an elephant is something that's obvious, that people are ignoring, it's so big, right? It could be right in between us in the room and no one's saying anything. Like, I don't know, maybe if, I, if I, I'm at a party and I'm saying hello to a guy who's dating my ex-girlfriend and I feel weird about it, that's a, that's a pretty big mouse, right? In fact, he knows it too, so, so that, that would be an elephant in the room that we're not addressing. Mm -hmm. But um, let's suppose someone did something that upset me they probably have no idea that's a clear mouse that it's my job to name and let them know. My, uh, my cousin called me once and said, hey, this is a weird conversation. It's a little, little scary for me. Those are two mice. He's just naming that this is weird for him and it's scary for him. So he named those up front and he said, look, at, at the wedding 10 years ago, when I was MC, I made a joke at your expense and everybody laughed and I, I just felt bad about that later and I'm calling to apologize. Wow. That was a big mouse for him. I'd forgotten about it. So it wasn't an elephant. It was just I'd forgotten about it. But as soon as he said it, I flashed back to that moment. I hated that moment. I left... I, I left the wedding and walked outside for a few minutes to calm down. I really felt humiliated. And then I'd forgotten it for 10 years. And then, boom, he just names a mouse. This is called a confession mouse. Although I knew what he'd done, but he, he felt like he needed to confess. I made fun of you, and I'm sorry. And it transformed our relationship. I felt so much trust in him that he would do that. And I felt so much closer to him that he cared about my feelings. And then I didn't even know I was holding some resentment, but subconsciously I was gone, all from naming a mouse. You could also you could call that a historical mouse because it was like from 10 years ago. So they can be yeah. from 10 years ago, from yesterday, from an hour ago, or they could be in the moment. Oh, I notice... This is what I'm, I know I'm feeling a little anxious right now. I, I just want to name that I'm feeling really tired. So if I seem, seem slower than normal, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. That, that would be an example of maybe a, a small mouse that you could name. So in a way, like this mouse, is it's they're kind of like the feelings you have, specifically feelings that maybe you're hiding or feelings that are, are unknown to someone else, um, feelings that... Feelings that you're almost, you're, you're purposefully like masking in a way, right? And, and I like what you're talking about because it, it really, I think, gets to the idea of authenticity. 
And I love the idea of, I don't think you can have a relationship with someone as deep as you would like to have without being authentic, without being honest, without being forthcoming about some of these, these feelings. I mean, what do you think about Agreed. that? Agreed. It's, it's actually very sad. We're, human beings are like billiard balls just bouncing off each other. Mm-hmm. Not actually connecting. And we crave connection. We watch movies where people deeply connect. And so we can feel. It's safer to watch it on the screen. We crave it. Um, sports, you know, you go to a sports game. It's a way to connect with, with maybe thousands of people around a common event. We crave connection. And I'll speak for myself. I, I need connection. I need touch. I need care and I need intimacy. And yet there's a part of me that's scared of it. Say, like, oh, that's, mm. that's scary. It's a lot easier with alcohol. Oh, I have a couple of beers and, oh, hey, you know, men will get drunk and say, I love you, man. Right? But this, these are the things we do to try and get us to that state. And well, so, why are you scared of it? Why, like, why are you scared of intimacy and, and, and that? Well, I'm not a psych. Psychiatrist, and that feels like I'd be, I'd be <laughs> stepping on someone else's turf. I can say for me, um, I spent a lot of my life not connected. So to let someone in feels very risky. You know, mm. what if they see the real me and don't like it or leave? I or th- what, if, what if they do like it and we get, you know, deeply connected and intimate and then they go? Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. But I want to go back to that thread. Um, You asked, is it a feeling that people don't know? It's any feeling, thought, or body sensation. Any of those can be a mouse. Could be thoughts that you've got about, you know, you walk into someone's house and it's really messy. That's a mouse in your head. That's a thought. Now, that one you may not share because there's not a lot of upside in that you just keep it yourself call it a mirror mouse like oh i don't like i don't like messy rooms and this is a messy room okay done Mm -hmm. it could be a body sensation i notice my stomach's cramping up or there's a lot of tension in my shoulders when i'm watching a movie with someone i often want to get up and stretch my body i don't want to like just sit there for two hours that's a mouse got a desire i got a toleration mouse I'm, I'm tolerating tight shoulders and I have a desire mouse. I'd like to get up and stretch. Hey, could we pause the, the movie for a couple of minutes or keep it going? I'm going to get down on the floor and stretch. I always felt weird saying that to someone. There's another mouse. This is awkward for me to say this, um, but I'd like to do that. How does that feel for you? You can stretch and move around too if you want. Any thought, feeling or body sensation uh, is, is a potential mouse that can be named and you want to do it well, we can get to that. You don't, what you don't want to do is totally mess it up and create a train wreck. And that's another reason that people haven't been mouse named. The two biggest reasons that people don't mouse name, one, they don't know what their mice are. They don't even realize, oh, I am upset about that or I don't feel good about that or I do have a desire for that. Like so that's the first thing. This book is about awareness. Discover your mice. Two, they don't have a roadmap. They don't have a simple blueprint for how to do it well. You go to your boss and say, hey, I'm really angry about being passed over in this promotion. You're a jerk. Okay, 
that's not going to go very well. So we need to discover our mice and then uh, we have a, a three-step process in the book for how to artfully name that mouse to give you a better chance of it going well and not being a train wreck. I want to get into exactly how to do that because I think that's really important. Um, but I also think that, like, I just want to share that as someone who has had a, a handful of different experiences, and I want to get, I guess, I'd, I'd like to relate it to business because I think, you know, a lot of folks that listen to this are trying to m improve their career, build better relationships, be more successful, um, be better at the tasks that they're performing. And one of the things that I've always struggled with is just, it's almost like an imposter syndrome. It's the idea that, that as a leader uh, in a corporation, I, I'm supposed to know everything. And that makes me uncomfortable because a lot of times I don't know. And like, I think that's a mouse, right? It's this, it's a fear of being uncovered as, as a fraud in a way. Um, so I'm curious, maybe we can even use that as an example. Like, I, I believe that's a mouse to me. I mean, maybe I could uncover some other mice, but what's my roadmap if that's the situation? Glad you brought up business because I, I used to be a consulting actuary uh, on Park Avenue. And so that's my background is business success. And this book is for the personal and the professional. It bridges both. You can use this in the, in the living room, uh, in the playroom with your kids. You can use it in the bedroom and you can use it in the boardroom. So the, the business application, if people don't trust you and know you, they don't want to work with you. There's, there's the problem right there. In fact, I'm going to write that. Write that down because I want to remember that for later. They, they're just not going to want to work with you. Conversely, if they do know you and trust you and feel connected with you, they're going to want you in that meeting. They're going to be like, oh, let's, let's, get him, let's get him or her. Jill would be great for this. They're going to want to send you to the client. They're going to want to promote you and pay you more. Because there's probably alignment that people are like, oh, yeah, Jill's, Jill's going to get the job done and she's great. They won't even know why sometimes you're great. That's the thing about charisma. People don't, can't put a finger on it. They don't know why. They just know they, they, they like you and trust you more. Um, here's an example of this in a business context. There's someone, someone who I admired for years and wanted a relationship with. But he's very famous. So it wasn't easy, uh, but one day I managed to get a seat next to him at a luncheon and we're talking and I had a desire mouse that was edgy for me to name. I, I said to him, would you be open to writing the forward to my book? And I know, I know that's a big ask and it would just be such an honor. But I had a second mouse too. Uh, I had already asked Richard Branson and I was waiting for a response from his people and he was my preference. And I, I, could just, I looked ahead and I could see it'd be awkward if I got a yes here today and then had to say, oh, <laughs> you know, sorry, it's done. Sorry, so Sir I took Richard. A risk. <laughs> What's yeah. that? 
I said, sorry, Sir Richard. Uh, well, no, I would have said yes to Sir Richard okay. and said no yeah. to, uh, to Jack Canfield. Mm. So it was Jack who I was sitting next to. And I just, something in me is like, look, just take a risk and be you. Oh, God, got to write that down too. Because we're promoting the book. So everything, <laughs> everything that, that lands for me, I'm, I'm writing it down. Um, and I said, look, I want to be up front with you. I've asked Richard Branson. And if he says yes, then I'm going to go with that. And it's a big request. Would you be willing to be a backup for me? And classic Jack Canfield said, oh, well, you're going alphabetically. I understand that. That makes sense. <laughs> and I laughed. And, 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 uh, and he, he said, you know, I'd be open to it. I'd be willing to take a look. And he ended, Richard Branson said no. Jack said yes. And, and there it was done. But I still think to this day, I don't believe that I'd be a member of the Transformational Leadership Council which is uh, an organization that Jack and John Gray started with some other thought leaders where we could come together and support each other as family. I don't think I'd be a member of that council if I didn't practice mouse naming, particularly mm. when it's scary. I don't, think, I don't think Jack would have invited me to, to come by his house and, and stay overnight if I was doing the regular song and dance that most of us do. Now it takes a risk. It takes courage. He could have said, screw you. Why would I be your backup plan? But instead, I think people are intrigued and interested. Now, caveat, you will lose some people. As you start to be you, more of you in the world, you will lose some people. But I suggest that those are the people you're supposed to lose. I once had a friend, I had a toleration mouse because he was um, complaining a lot. He'd go on for 20, 30 minutes about how rough life was. And I just found it draining. And I'm like, what do I do? And this was years ago. And I asked my coach and she said, create a space for him to step into. It's up to him if he steps into it. But... In other words, I had a toleration mouse and a desire mouse. This was draining me. I didn't want it. My desire was we have complaining time, we time it, we limit it to five minutes, then we move on to something yeah. positive. And I asked That's, him. Um, yeah, go ahead. I asked him if he'd be open to that, and that was the last we ever hung out. That was the last I ever heard of him. And I, to this day, I, I, I grieve for that friendship, but he made his choice. What I, I named a mouse, I did it cleanly, and he didn't want that. So, so you, you will lose some people and opportunities. You could lose a job. If you, if you name a mouse, you might say, look, I, I'm unhappy in this position and ultimately I'd have to leave. If, if we can't change it, they may say, well, leave now. Or you might confess to something. Hey, I, I broke it. I did that. Or, you know, I did this and it's a violation of company policy and I want to make it right. You could lose a job, but you would be stunned by the number of times people will react positively 
eventually. Maybe in the moment they might have some upset, but to come around and say, well, you just did something that most people don't do. I, I once called the college that I went to 30 years ago and said, I got to apologize. I stole the college sign when I was a student and uh, it just feels wrong. Every time I drive past the college, it feels like it seemed like fun at the time, but now it's just plain vandalism and I'm sorry, can I make it right? And the, and the principal was like, who is this? <laughs> and how long ago was this? Uh, about 30 years ago. It, it was like, why? Right? Yeah. Again, this is what movies are made out of. But we can live like that. He's like, why are you calling? I said, well, integrity is important to me. And when I see something, a mess that I made, I try and clean it up. It's how I live, try, try and live my life. And he said, well, the timing's good because we just lost another of the damn things and they're expensive. <laughs> and so I wrote him a check. I wrote him a check and then I got a letter a week later inviting me to the opening of the new wing at the college. Now, you got to understand, I'd been banned from that college for good reasons. I wasn't allowed to set foot on the property. And 30 years later, I'm invited as the guest of the principal. And by coincidence, the Prime Minister of Australia happened to be there officiating the ceremony. And the principal took me in front of 200 people who were lined up, took me to the Prime Minister and said, I just, I need to introduce you to an alumni. Wow, that's crazy. What can happen when we take a risk to be ourselves is mind-blowing and scary. I want to go back to this friend of yours because when you were telling the story, it sounded like, in a way, your friend was almost naming his mice without truly naming his mice, right? Like he, if he's complaining enough for you to say, we need to create a space and a time to have these conversations, it, it almost sounds like he was trying maybe to organize his thoughts and understand his feelings. And maybe he was searching for these mice. He just didn't have the roadmap you're talking about. He didn't have the ability to understand what he was complaining about. So in a way, it's almost like this book that you've written would be important for him to help understand himself so that he could have labeled his mice to you and confided in you as a friend. And maybe that would have went a different way. I mean, what do you think about that? Oh, oh yeah. This book will increase your level of consciousness and awareness. And, you know, it's hard to imagine how good that's going to be. But just imagine if I said, hey, I'm going to take away 20% of your consciousness and awareness and you're going to live the rest of your life knowing less mm. and being less self-aware mm. and not knowing why you do things or what you feel or how to communicate with people. I'm just going to take away 20% of that. Who would, who would say yes to that? Yeah, no one Nobody. Would, right? So... So why would you say no to increasing it by 20 to 50 to 100%? Could, could double it. Now, yes, had he read the book, he may have realized or, or gone to therapy or worked with a coach, he may have been able to say, hey, I notice 
I have a lot of complaints. He probably didn't even know that. He was just talking about life. Oh, this happens and this sucks and man, it sucks when that happens and blah, blah. That, that was his level of awareness. But he may have realized, oh, I have a lot of complaints. I'm unhappy with how life is treating me. And I feel like a victim. Now that's jumping up like five levels of consciousness. Can I complain? Can I just bitch for two minutes? And at the end, and we'll set a timer. And at the end of that two minutes, I might ask for an extension of two more, and but we won't go past that. Would that be okay? Most people are going to say, hell yeah. I got time. Go ahead. Bitch away. It's being consciously done, hugely different from being in it. And so as, as we started this, this conversation, the first step is awareness. You do, this book will identify eight different types of mice. And you'll be like, oh, man, I got, a, I got a desire mouse here. All right. Oh, I got a confession mouse. And then you can go to your partner who's ideally read the book or go to your team at work and your boss who have ideally read the book and say, can I name a confession mouse with you? They'll know exactly what you're talking about. And they'll go, shoot. Or can I name a toleration mouse with you? Something's been on my mind. I'd like to see if we could handle it. Is that okay? Yeah. What you got? That's the world I want to live in. That's the world we can step into. Kids going to their parents. Mommy, can I name a a desire mouse with you? I got got a mouse to name. Can Can I name a mouse? Yeah, what mouse you got? I, I feel angry. Those are the conversations I want to have happening in the world. What do you think this will do for the world? Uh, you know, just w- what impact will this have on the individual and then the collective um, when we start to become more aware and we can label these mice? Oh, I love that question. Um, the impact this book can have on the individual, they read it and apply it. Firstly, your level of awareness goes up. Oh, this is what I'm feeling. Brene Brown says most people can only identify three emotions. I can't remember what they are. They're probably fear, anger, and joy. That's kind of sad. So the first thing is become aware. This is what's happening in me. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. Um, This is a mess I made that I want to clean up. This is what I'm thinking. We we don't even know what we're thinking. You ask a fish, how's the water? The fish will go, what water? (laughs) Yeah. So increasing our level of awareness is gold. Secondly, it'll help us decide which mice to name and which mice not to. Some of them you're just going to name for yourself in your journal perhaps, and then you let it go. Others, hopefully 80% of them, you will go and name. Thirdly, it'll show you how to do it so you don't create a train wreck. And so the person is prepped and ready for it, and they've given consent. And they're like, oh, you know, like a friend said to me once, I'm pissed. We need to talk. My reaction was, no, we don't need to talk. You need to talk. I need to watch TV. 
So it'll show you how to do it so the person is actually like open and ready to receive what you've got and they're in a positive frame of mind. And then what do you get when you have all that? More connection, deeper connection and intimacy. Firstly, with yourself. You'll know yourself more. Secondly, with other people, with your kids, your friends, your partner, your coworkers, your boss, your customers. This is amazing for sales. You'll have confidence because you're bringing more of the real you to the world. And then finally, business success. So many of my opportunities come from the people like me and trust me. I, I have some people who say, I trust you implicitly. I trust you with my life. That's a good feeling to have. This generates trust because people get the real you. Some are going to leave, and some, but more people, I believe the right people, will be attracted to you, and you'll find, you'll find the right tribe. You'll find the right job. You'll find the right career opportunities because the you is coming to the forefront. Mm, I love that. Oh, Let's and yeah. go ahead. And I want to also answer your question for what this will do for the world. We'll just go right into that. That's fine. Great. Thank you. And what this book, Mouse in the Room, will do for the world, this is my vision, it'll bring us all three or four steps closer. We don't have to wonder what's going on in the other person. We don't have to make up stories of what's going on in the other person. We can actually find out. And I think, wow, what a big question. I think there'll be less fighting. Or if we do fight and have arguments, it'll be so much quicker because people are actually naming their mice and we can move through it. I think we'll have a friendlier world and a much more peaceful world. Mm. And that's my vision. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I am curious because I've always believed that, you know, people don't pay for information. They pay for like a framework and a coach and, and that. So I think there's so much in this book that, that – people are going to be able to get out of to apply to every situation in their life. Um, but I'm curious if, if we can do just one example that I think might be a common one. I think people maybe let's, let's keep at work, right? Let's, let's keep this business theme and, and think about someone who may have a disagreement with either a coworker or manager and they feel frustrated that they're not being heard or understood or listen to, um, what could that person do in, in a meeting that they have? And let's just say it's with their manager. Um, when they feel that way, how can they take this framework? How can they label that mouse, whatever it may be? And then how can they articulate their feelings, be authentic, and do it in a way that's meaningful and brings that person closer to their boss? Thank you. I love that specific example. So someone's in a meeting, they feel like they're not being heard or listened to. What do they do? Okay, well, let's not stand up and pound the table and say, shut the hell up for a second. Although 
we could keep that in the options for as a last resort. Uh, firstly, there are, we have a 3D process, and the first D stands for discover. And we have a worksheet. When you get the book, there's a worksheet in it where you go, okay, i got to discover this. What's going on with me? I don't feel listened to. That's my toleration mouse. I don't feel listened to. I don't feel heard. Or I feel shut down or talked over. All right, what's my desire? What do I want? I would like to be heard. They may not choose to follow what I say, but I'd like to be heard. And then I'm skipping over some of the sub-steps. The second D stands for decide. Is this something worth naming? Well, do I want to play small for the rest of my life and be a little wallflower? Or am I going to stand up for myself? This seems like a pretty easy one, even though it's scary. It's like, yeah. And, and, and the worksheet will help you decide. So you look at the upside, you look at the downside, and then you weigh it up. And the downside might be, oh, um, they might find me annoying. They might be annoyed by this. Uh, maybe they won't invite me to the next meeting. The upside is I get to feel heard and I might have an impact on the direction of this meeting and the company. Mm. Plus, I feel good about myself because at least I asked. That's, that's often the hidden gem, feeling good because it's integrity. So let's suppose you decide I'm going to do it. Then the third D is disarm or disarm mm. in, in American. I really should be talking in an American accent because I need to practice it for acting. But uh, we'll, we'll stick with the Aussie one for now. Disarm. You don't want to just go and dump it. You want to disarm the person. So we might start with asking for consent. Hey, guys, can I jump in for a second? Um, I've got something here that I think could really make a difference. And I think it would take about a minute for me to get it out. And I wonder if this is a good time for me to share it. It, it feels relevant and important to what we're doing right now. And I... I'd like a I'd really like a minute to say to say this. Oh, uh, well, we were a bit busy here. Can we do it in the next meeting? Then you might go, yeah, that works for me. We can do it in the next meeting. Or you might be like, oh, you know what? Or I can come to you before the next meeting because it's a bit too time sensitive. Or you might say, actually, I think if we can spare the minute, now would be better because uh, it might change the action steps we just came up with. I, I just made that up off the top of yeah. my head. No. But we're checking for consent and we're saying, I've got something that feels important. I'd like to be heard. We could also go further. You know, I, I don't know if this is the right time, but I notice I've been, I've been trying to say something a few times and each time it seems like someone else jumps in and I'm just wondering, I'm kind of new here, I'm wondering, should I speak louder or... Should I just, just keep trying or am I missing something about how, how these meetings are run, right? Am I just a little vulnerability? This is my experience. This is my mouse. I won't say I want to name a mouse with you if they don't know what that, that means, but you get, you get the picture. I might also go to the boss later on and say, I just, 
I feel talked over in the meetings and I wonder if you've got some advice on, on what I should do because I don't want to be a wallflower, but I don't want to, should I just stand my ground more? And, you know, here's something else that comes to me. Someone, I, I, I'm speaking, someone interrupts. Jack, can I pause you for a second? Jack's still talking. Jack, can I pause you for a second? I'd like to complete that thought. Simplicity yeah. itself, simple, simple dignity. Didn't even have to name a mouse there. I could do all the identification on the worksheet, but then it's just, hey, here's a desire I have. My desire is to complete the thought. Can I pause you for a second? I do that with my clients all the time. They're jumping in. I say, well, hold on. Can I pause you? I'd like to finish this. Almost always someone will say yes. And if not, they might be like, actually, this is too important. They do it. Then come back. All right. Now, hang on. Hang on, Jill. I want to complete my thought from earlier. I call this dignity. It's just simple dignity. We're not dominating. We're not collapsing. We're just my voice matters. You don't have to follow what I say but my voice matters and needs to be heard. You know, what's interesting about this too. I've had this situation. I've had this happen in my house. Like with my, with my kid, with my seven year old kid, I have, um, I tend to dominate a conversation as does my wife and my oldest son. We, we love talking. We sit down for dinner and we have these great long conversations about our day. And we noticed that my youngest son, oftentimes just sits and listens. And he's fine. He's happy. He's okay. He'll participate when he wants. Um, but after a couple years of sitting there and him noticing like, hey, you know what? He doesn't talk as much during dinner. Um, my wife identified that and, and started asking him, hey, do you, do you feel like there's things you want to say? Like, do you feel like we talk over you? And started asking these questions. And he was like, yeah, like you guys just talk so much. And so we said, okay, well, let's, let's put together like a system where we each say something. And if you feel like we start talking over you, this is how I would like you to approach it. You can say, you're not letting me finish. Can I finish what I was saying? Or, hey, I have something to say. Can you please listen? And what's amazing is he started to become so much more engaged in the conversation. And he had these interesting, funny ideas and it was great, but it was because we, it's because my wife identified that and stepped in and gave him the freedom and the ability to speak his mind and be honest. So I'm curious with that story, how as a leader, can we foster an environment to allow people to feel that it's okay to be authentic and vulnerable and speak up for themselves and label these mice? I love that one too. How can leaders foster an environment where people feel safe enough to name their mice? We, we do cover that in the book. Firstly, I want to break down what your wife did because it's a good example of what we often do in our minds. We skip some steps. Mm. So your, your wife, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, imagine that she had a process that happened in her mind. There were some mice that she identified, and then she skipped all of those and jumped straight to solution. I do that all the time. That's my whole life. 
skipping all the internal processes and the mice and then jumping straight to a question like, would you like to talk more in our conversations? So I want to break it down how it could have gone so that people can see how we often don't even realize what's happening inside. It could have gone, and she, what she did was wonderful and genius, but to break it down in terms of mouse naming, hey, I notice that you don't seem to speak very much. I notice my mouse. And I find myself curious if you do want to speak more. And if that's true, I want to encourage you to do it. I want to include you in the conversation, right? Imagine that was her desire mouse. I want to include you in the conversation. This is why the worksheet is great because you can slow it down, work out what is going on. And then when you share, when you name those things with people, they know where you're coming from. Instead of like, hey, Jim, in this meeting, um, do you want to say something? Jim might not know where that's coming from. Yeah. Am I yeah. supposed to be participating more in whatever? Which leads me to the answer to your question. How, as leaders, can we make it safe enough? Firstly, name our own mice. I notice that I have a desire to create a culture of safety and inclusion here and a culture where people can take risks and say something, maybe ask the stupid question or bring up the crazy idea or share an upset or something that's not working. I want to create a culture where we can do that. And then I might try collaboration. What do you, what do you guys think about that? And what would it take? It's a great exercise in Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, where uh, she talks about a, a, a team manager who gets people to write down on a piece of paper one thing that would make it safe for them to speak up honestly in a meeting. And it's all anonymous, what they wrote down, and then leader reads through each item or give it to someone else, read through each thing on the list. And we discuss it as a team. Yeah, what would it take? What would it look like? We build it together. Now, some of the answers might be something like if the leader goes first. So if the leader's saying, um, I notice I want that to happen and I don't always do it. I'm not always transparent, so I will commit to doing it. And in fact, in each meeting, we might even start with mouse naming. Hey, what do we got? What are we aware of? I say to my clients at the beginning of a call, what are you bringing to this call? What are you arriving with? And I even say, if you check in with your body and your mind, what do you notice? It's bringing us right now what you got. So you can model it and you can bring it up as a topic. We say in the book, talk about mouse naming before you start mouse naming. Talk about this concept. Mm -hmm. Give everyone the book. Yeah. That'd be the fastest way. Have everyone read the, read the damn book. And then they'll be like, they'll be bringing it. Hey, I want to name a mouse. New culture. No, go back. New language, new culture. That's great. David, 
I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I have three questions that I ask at the end of every podcast, and I want to get to those. But before I do, if people are listening to this, and, and I think they're going to be interested in this idea, because I really believe people crave authentic, meaningful conversation, and I think they want to be themselves. I think that it's exhausting to try to be someone who's perfect when nobody is perfect. So if they're interested in this, how can they get the book? When's it release? Um, where is it? Thank you. Yeah, I'll tell you how to get the book. And if you think, as I do, that mouse naming really could change the world and your corporation and your family and your own life, that's the, pro- that's the promise that I'm making. Read it and apply it. This will change your life. Uh, if you believe as I do, then I'd love you to help with the campaign. We're having a party the week of June 13, and particularly Monday, June 13, uh, to bring everyone together so we can create a bestseller on, on Amazon. And so really easy, go to mouseintheroom.com. There's no the in front of it, just mouseintheroom.com, and it'll show you how to get the book. And here are the three things I'd love you to do if you want to play. Buy the book. We'll probably have a super crazy low price on the Kindle version, or you can get the physical book. Secondly, post on social media that you just bought the book and invite your friends to go and get it too. And I tell you, it's going to be a lot easier for you to mouse name if the people around you are doing it. So get your friends mouse naming. They'll they'll raise the bar for you. And then the third thing, If you think it deserves a five-star review, leave us a five-star review. If we get 100 five-star reviews on that day or week, then I think it'll be a bestseller, which would be a nice thing. You know, we'll pop some champagne. Uh, So, again, mouseintheroom.com, buy the book, post it on social media that you just bought the book, maybe with a picture of it, and then uh, if you think it deserves it, leave us a five-star review and – I would say I give you my firstborn child, but there could be hundreds of you and I'm not going to have that many children. Um, But I'd be very grateful. Let's start a mouse naming revolution at mouseintheroom.com. Let's get this revolution going. Well, David, I'm excited for you and the book and and I'm looking forward to picking it up and leaving a review for you. Um, So final three questions of the podcast. You're an author. Um, but you've also had a number of experiences. You've brought up Brene Brown um, a little bit. What's the most impactful book that you've ever read? Well, I don't know if this is the most impactful, but it started me on this path to authenticity. There's a book called Real Love by Greg Bear, B-A-E-R. And it kind of started the, the ball rolling. And he says, quite simply, if you don't show the real you, you can never experience real love. Because you'll always be saying, oh, yeah, but they love this fake part of me. Or they love that I do this. Or they love that I present this way. Or they're always chirpy. You can never be truly loved for you if you don't show the real you. So in a way, this book is an homage. Is that the right word? Yeah, it is. Homage yeah. to uh, 
to Greg and, and getting me started on the on the path. Real Love by Greg Bear. I'll have to check it out. Second question. If you could have a drink with anyone in the world, past or present, who would it be? What would you drink and why? I'll go with Alan Alder. Alan Alder from MASH and many other things. And I think it's because, you know, in, in a way he's similar to Robin Williams and, um, and Tim Minchin, who's a comedian. They, they all bridge the dramatic and deep feeling work and the comedic. And that's where I live. Someone once said, hey, you should meet David. He's playful and deep. Ooh, and I a thought, great introduction. God, yeah, I'd like that on my tombstone. Uh, and this book is meant to be that as well. You know, we make fun, you know, with the mouse analogy, we made it playful and it's very deep work. Yeah. And so, and Alan Alda would, would be the one. Okay. And, a, and you know, last... I don't know, we'd have a cup of tea, whatever he likes to drink. It wouldn't matter. Perfect. The last, the last question. Uh, so the Every Breath Counts podcast, it's got a meaning that's twofold in a way. Um, on one hand, there's only a finite amount of breaths that you have in your life. And you need, to, you need to use those breaths to the best of your ability and leverage them to achieve greatness and success in everything you do. And it's going to take every single one of those breaths. And then on the other hand, you only have so many breaths in your life. And you should be grateful for every breath you have. And you should enjoy every breath you take. Um, so one of the ways that I do that is having a podcast to talk to people like you, David. And I enjoy the fact that you and I can sit here and talk and, and try to have a conversation that people might listen to and, and learn from and enjoy and be entertained by and inspired by. And to me, that's how I make every breath count. So David, how do you make every breath count in your life? I try and dream big. I'm a, I, I, I like to think of myself as a possibility generation machine and just like keep looking what's possible, what could be done, what would be the most fun, what would make the biggest impact in the world and then use courage to do it. This... I just moved to Los Angeles last week and I had a great life in Boulder, Colorado. Great friends, beautiful house, in nature, quiet. It was hard to leave that uproot and move myself across country to a busy, crowded, dense city for at least a year to pursue, not pursue, to continue to enjoy acting very scary. And, you know, about 200 steps went into that, into coaxing myself to, to get here and set myself up so that my nervous system's happy and whatever. But I think it's very easy to not dream big and then not pursue the dream for thousands of reasons. 
And I think that's how I try and make not every breath. I like, I feel like you're raising the bar there. I think I waste <laughs> many, many breaths. But that's how I, here's a great question. Amazing question. If you were given five years to live from today, what would you change about how you're living your life? If you would change nothing, you're all set. But I, I suspect it. there might be some things that you might shift if you knew you had five years. I think you're probably right. And I think that everybody out there listening to this, I think there's things that they would try to keep intact. And I think that there's things that they would pursue otherwise. And I, I don't think that either one of those is wrong. I, I think that it's the awareness that you've talked about. I think it's, you know, naming the mice in your life to have the awareness to pursue the things that are meaningful to you um, and, and then putting those things in motion. And I think that's beautiful. So, David, I really appreciate you and this book and, and the time that you spent with me today. Um, I'm grateful to have you here. Guys, go out, mouseintheroom.com, find the book, get it. It drops on June 13th. You are going to love it, so leave that five-star review. And, you know... Name your mice. Let's start a revolution. Let's help everybody become authentic. Let's help everybody become honest and make every breath count. Thank you, guys. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I can't articulate how grateful I am for you. If this episode was inspiring, motivating, or educational, it would mean the world to me if you hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen and left a positive five-star review. And if you want to learn about new episodes as they come out, check out my Instagram at everybreathcountspodcast and sign up for my newsletter at everybreathcountspodcast.com. Have a great day and make every breath count.